I will never forget one Christmas many years ago, you know, I was approaching teenage years and I was getting kind of self-conscious, you know, I was really wanting to focus on what I wore and, you know, the way that I styled my hair. Well, that Christmas, I had gotten my eyes on this jacket. It was a windbreaker. It was a Charlotte Hornets windbreaker. And this was up in Dayton, Ohio. We went by the mall, and I knew exactly what I wanted. It was in a big sporting goods store, and I kept dropping real heavy hints to my mom that that's what I wanted for Christmas was this Charlotte Hornets windbreaker. Well, imagine my shock and dismay when on Christmas morning, I opened up the gift, and there was not a Charlotte Hornets windbreaker. Not the one that I wanted that was going to help me look the way I wanted to look. It was an Ohio State windbreaker. (laughs) I was really upset about that, and I was so upset that I couldn't hide my disappointment. And I know it hurt my mom's feelings, but I I just was so focused on what I wanted, and I didn't get what I wanted that I kind of sulked for the rest of the day. Now, in the end, I actually ended up enjoying the jacket. But the point is that I was really focused on myself that day. Now, we've all had times in our lives when we're a little bit more focused on receiving than on giving. Even though we might like or love the people we're requesting things from, in the end, neither party has a real warm feeling about the interaction, right? Because they know that you're just looking to them to give you something. Now, what about on the other end of that? You know, when you've got somebody that you care about or that you love and they're looking to you and they're requesting things from you. But you start to get that nagging feeling, you know what, my kids are buttering me up for something. They want something. And you start to feel kind of like a means to an end. Today we're going to talk about an uncomfortable situation that Nehemiah had to confront. There were community leaders who were guilty of exploiting their own countrymen and speeding up the poverty process. And Nehemiah had the unpleasant but necessary task of confronting them in order to rescue the people, not from their enemies, but from their neighbors' callous business practices. So turn to Nehemiah chapter 5. We're going to work through verses 1 through 19 this morning. And I know that God has some important lessons for us today. Beginning in verse 1. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. So there's a great outcry, not against their enemies, but against their own people. You know, sometimes the enemies within are more dangerous than those outside. Verse 2, some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. So some of them were starving. Verse 3, others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. So some were borrowing just to live. You know, Proverbs is very clear that the borrower is slave to the lender. It's like it creates an unequal relationship. Have you ever been, you ever borrowed money from somebody? You ever had money borrowed from you? Does it change the relationship? I've experienced this myself. It it creates an unequal relationship. So this is one of the reasons I'm really loath to borrow money for any reason. If I can possibly help it because it affects the relationship with you and that person. Verse 4, we continue the situation. Still others were saying we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. So there are people who are having to borrow money just to pay taxes. And then even worse, verse 5. All we are of the, although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. 
Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. So that when they needed food or they needed to pay taxes, they would leverage their assets. But when they ran out of assets, they had to leverage themselves. So many of the returned exiles, they were suffering at the hands of their countrymen. These people would lend them money, but then they would want high interest back. And if the people missed a payment, then they would take over the fields. Can you imagine this? How upsetting this situation that Nehemiah is seeing. Left with no means of income, the debtors were forced to sell their children into slavery. A common practice at the time. These wealthy Jews were speeding up the process of impoverishing their countrymen by charging excessive interest. You know, usury is the Bible word. Now, when you go out to buy something, right, and you're looking for a quality item, we did this yesterday, we purchased a used car, and we were willing to give a little bit more to get value. What happens when you go to the bargain, the bargain barn? What are you looking for? You're looking for a bargain. Now, what is a bargain? Simply put, a bargain is I want to give a whole lot less than I get. And that's what was happening here. We had people who were exploiting their own countrymen. And they were saying, I'm going to lend you money to pay your bills, to buy food, but I want back a whole lot more than I'm going to give. And if you don't pay up, then I'm going to take what you own, and I'm actually going to sell you off to somebody else to pay your debt. I might even buy and sell your children. So that's what was going on here. We have takers in their midst, and they're looking to get a whole lot more than they get. So Nehemiah has to address this, and this is uncomfortable for him. Verse 6, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Now think about what Nehemiah is doing here. He is accusing the nobles and the officials. These aren't the enemies outside the walls. These are his co-workers. These are his patrons. This is a dangerous thing for him to be doing, but he feels compelled by God to speak up. And what is he accusing them of? He's saying you're treating people like commodities. You're just wanting to extract value from them. And this is a clear violation of the law. Exodus 22:25 says that Jewish persons are not to ex extract usury or high interest from their own people. Now, I wanted to ask you a question this morning, and I know, I'll, for the men at least, I know what the answer is going to be. Do you love your car? Who loves their car? Oh, really? That many unsatisfied customers? Okay. I, I, I like your car, too. Do you love your car? Really? I mean, you really love your car? Not really. What is it? You, you want to get value from that car. You want to extract value from your investment, right? So you don't really love your car. You just want to get value from it. Now, what about your pets? Who has pets? Okay. Now, we have two very cute, very useless animals in our home. <laughs> and you know what's funny? I don't get a lot of value from them. I mean, all they do is eat up my money. We had to buy this expensive flea treatment, you know? They don't bring any value to our home, but we love them. And so what we see here in this story is that God wants us to treat people at least as good 
is our pets. So these men, they keep quiet because there's nothing to say. I mean, they're caught with their hand in the cookie jar, right? There's nothing to say. We've all been in situations like that. Okay, so continuing on in verse 9. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let the exacting of usury stop. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the usury you are charging them, the hundredth part of the money, grain, new wine, and oil. It says what you're doing is not right. It's embarrassing. I mean, look at what we're doing to each other. And the people outside our country, I mean, they're noticing the way that we're treating each other. This is embarrassing. This is upsetting. Stop it and give back what is rightfully theirs and the extra that you have taken. Let's look at their response in verse 12. So you see Nehemiah taking a chance, addressing a problem. They've gotten a lot of momentum. God is doing a great work in their midst. But this is going to eat away at the camaraderie. This is going to eat away at the community that God's building if he doesn't address it. So verse 12. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. It's amazing. These are, these are powerful people. And, the, and their sin has been addressed. And they respond. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 13. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way may God shake out of his house and possessions every man who does not keep his promise. So may such a man be shaken out and emptied. At this the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. So he does a symbolic act to show that if they don't keep their promise, may God deal with them in the way that he's shaking out his garment and that they would be shaken out and emptied. And they did do as they promised. There was still time for them to course correct. Go ahead and bring up that photograph. So this is a number of years ago. This is, I believe, our fourth anniversary. I was trying to find an earlier picture. Well, actually, before we were married, we went on a trip to go visit a mission training center up in Pennsylvania, and it was a long car trip. And We spent 10, 12 hours getting up there, but on the way back, we are having such a good time that we drove right past our exit. We went on for probably a good hour and a half. We were just <laughs> chit-chatting in the car. And this wasn't the kind of way that you could kind of find another way around. We had to go all the way back and course correct so that we could get where we needed to go. And so these people have an opportunity in this situation. They're going down the wrong path. They've been making the wrong choice. And they have an opportunity to course correct. And what's really interesting here is that Nehemiah shows them the same kind of mercy that he was begging God to show to the Jews in the first place when he's in the king's court and he's saying, God, help us out. And God shows mercy. God shows incredible mercy. And now Nehemiah is paying it forward. Now, what might Nehemiah have done had he not become convinced that he served a merciful God when he saw what was going on? History teaches us that when there's people in power and position and wealth and they exploit the little guy, what typically happens is a revolution starts that ends in execution. And if Nehemiah hadn't become convinced that he served a merciful God, I mean, these guys would have been toast. So we see how God has moved his heart to be merciful. Then verses 14 and 15, we get to see more of his example, how God's moved him. 
Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. So they did not exercise their rights as those in authority. And those before had exploited them out of reverence for God. They did not act like that. So again, we see Nehemiah's faith. Instead, what does he do? Verse 16. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Now, there, God's put him in a position of power, of influence, of authority. What he says goes. But he doesn't take advantage of it. And I believe this is the attitude that God would have us adopt. You know, he did not view his important work as a means to an end. Now, when we're doing important work, I, I know how this is, and you're making a difference, maybe it's at your workplace, we're tempted to feel entitled, right? I'm entitled to a raise. I'm entitled to a promotion. And we're tempted to, to, to shift from focusing on what we can give to what we deserve and what we can get. Out of reverence for God, Nehemiah was able to stay focused on giving rather than getting. In verses 17 and 18, he just iterates that we have certain privileges and allotments. You know, they did take some things that were due them, but they never demanded from people what was due them because the demands were heavy on the people. So we learn here, let our expectations be tempered with kindness now, this one's difficult, and I don't know exactly what to do with it. It was not wrong for Nehemiah and his officials to receive compensation. It was not wrong for them to have the privileges of their position, but he never stopped believing that and behaving like people were his priority. People were his priority. He did not slip into treating people as a commodity that he could extract value from, even though... It was his right that he could have claimed. And then verse 19, a key verse. Nehemiah says, remember me with favor, O my God, for all I have done for these people. So he looks to God for remembrance and reward. So this morning, as we view this passage of Scripture, what do we learn about God? What do we learn about God? Number one is that God inspires Throughout the entirety of the story, we see how God inspires action. God inspired Nehemiah to move beyond prayer to participation. God inspired Nehemiah to take a step of faith and go on location. God provided an audience and Nehemiah the courage to speak to that audience. And God is doing some incredible things. And now God's generosity has inspired Nehemiah not only to confront the extractors, the takers but to show mercy to them as well. Romans chapter 2 talks about God's kindness and how it leads us toward repentance. And when you think about your sin and my sin, what is it that led us to Christ? First of all, have, have you made that decision this morning? Have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? And if you have, what led you to that decision? What led you to that point? It was God's kindness. It was the forgiveness that's offered to you freely. And if that's not true of you this morning, I'd, I'd pray for you to consider that. 
Consider what Jesus has done for you and the salvation that's freely available. And all you need to do is respond to it and begin to follow him. You know, I'm personally moved daily by God's grace to be generous to others. So God inspires. Look at what he inspired in this story so far. Number two is that God will remember. Nehemiah was convinced that God was watching his every move. Not only did God influence what Nehemiah did, he influenced what Nehemiah didn't do. He believed and requested that God remember his actions on behalf of his people. It's encouraging, isn't it, that God remembers. And then number three is that God will reward. God will reward. Coupled with a belief that God will remember his actions is also a hope that God's going to reward him for his actions. Now there's, no, there's more verses than I care to cover today, but there is a biblical truth that there are consequences for our actions, either good or bad consequences. And you know, although I'm not focused on the rewards, I'm not. That's not why I followed Jesus. But I believe that following Jesus will benefit me and benefit my family in the long run. So God will reward. Now what about you this morning? How does God want you and me to act? In view of this passage of scripture, number one, be a contributor. Be a contributor, a giver. Now, how does this work? You know, let's be honest. How, do, how does it that we become takers or we become extractors looking to get rather than give? It's a gradual process. We don't do it intentionally. But where does it start? It starts with fear, right? I'm afraid. I'm not going to have enough for me and for my family. And so I've got to make sure I've got enough. But you know what? Being an extractor, then it's fueled by greed. We don't like that word. I don't want to think of myself as greedy. But you start with fear and start to grab. And then, you, and then you're fueled by greed and saying, you know what? Enough is never enough. I need more. I need more. I need more. I'm going to fully leverage what I've got for myself. And then it becomes a habit. Right? We're kind of unaware of it, and it's easy to rationalize the fact that we're focused on ourselves and we're focused on getting rather than giving. So what about you? Are you looking for bargains in your life? I mean, is that a habit? I'm, I'm so focused on giving as little as possible and getting as much as possible. God would challenge us this morning to be a contributor. Give value. Give. Don't extract value. So here's some examples. Let's make it real practical. At home, you know, we're tempted to want to think about getting, not giving. Here's a question for you. How can I help? Say, and this, this is a struggle for me. Honey, how can I help? Son, daughter, how can I help you? Mom, dad, how can I help you? In-laws, how can I help you, right? So there's a question for you. How can I help? Because that will get you focused on making a contribution, not focused on yourself. What about at work? It's a temptation, right, to say, I'm, I'm all about me. I'm all about my success. I'm all about my movement. I want to move up. But what about if we're able to ask the question, how can I help you? To a colleague, a coworker, somebody beneath you, somebody above you. How can I help you succeed? How can I help you get where you want to go? The famous Zig Ziglar says, if you want to be successful in life, help as many people as you can to achieve what they want and their goals and their dreams, and then you'll be successful. So how can I help you succeed? In traffic, oh boy, 
This is a tough one. I was here first, right? You roll up to, you're rolling up to that stop sign and you stop short just to make sure that you're the first one to stop. Now, I know none of you have ever done that. I certainly haven't. But what about you first? What about at the store? Huh? I, would, I was here first. What about after you? Or what about just speaking to people? People that you know instead of ducking and trying to get on with your day. We need to shift from taking to giving. What about in your neighborhood? You know, don't just mind your own business. What about caring about somebody else? Now, I'm going to convict you right now, and I'm convicted myself. Do you know your neighbor's names? Okay, maybe you passed the test. Do you know their children's names? Uh-oh. We've kind of lost that sense of community that we used to have, right? But we can change that. And in the community, instead of thinking, how can I get for myself and my family? How can I extract resources so that we can live our lives? But not just live, have a good time, right? Let's have those extras. Let's have that nice vacation. Instead, let's ask ourselves, how can I serve my community? Go ahead and bring up the first photograph. This um, past Sunday, we had an opportunity to serve. There was a gal just around the corner, and she had about three or four years of leaves accumulated. And we got a, a nice, good crew of people over there, and we cleaned it up. And you'll start to see you know, how we started and how we finished. And there was, what, nine or ten of us there. And I was so encouraged that there were people in our church that were focused on what they could give not what they could get. And you know what? Throughout the, We worked, what, three, four hours clearing out. Just ignore that goof on the right. Um, we worked three, four hours cleaning out that yard. And it was difficult work. But you know what? Nobody complained. Even the little ones. Nobody complained. Nobody quit. And not a single person asked for compensation. Now that is the spirit that I believe God wants us to have as we go about our daily lives. Be a contributor. Number two, challenge the extractors. Challenge the extractors. Now, how do we do that? When we, when we encounter somebody, and you just know, don't you? This person's not, out, not looking out for me. They're looking out for themselves. So how do you challenge somebody like that? Like Nehemiah challenged the takers in his midst. I would encourage you to push for a mutually beneficial transaction. What do I mean by that? Seek the win-win. Seek the win-win. Now, there's a lot of people that they're looking win-lose, right? I win, you lose. That's how they play the game of life. But what does God want for us? He wants for us to be people that, you know, we're looking, to, we're looking to, for other people to win, but we're also taking care of ourselves. And the win-win is a way that we can challenge somebody who just wants to take. So an illustration, if you're selling a car, What's the temptation if you're looking out for you? It's to say, how can, I, how can I spin a story? How can I twist the facts? How can I put my best foot forward and get this person to give me more than they ought to for this car? It's a temptation, right? I mean, because we need to take care of ourselves. We need to take care of our family. But God would call us to something different. What about, what about buying a car? I did this yesterday. And we go into the situation, it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to niggle, I'm going to nickel and dime, I'm going to get them down, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a case, and I'm going to win. And they're going to lose. 
But how would God have us behave differently? Now, I don't have a, there's no easy answer for this. It's a heart attitude. Had a really nice conversation with the guy we bought the car from yesterday, Anthony. At first, it was a funny story. We met him in a gas station, and we drove the car, and then we came back, and we thought, you know, this is a nice car, but why is this guy meeting us at a, at a gas station? So we started to feel a little bit nervous that he might be a flimflammer, you know? So I called my friend Lewis and said, here's the situation. He said, I, feel, I have a bad feeling about it. The guy doesn't even have a car lot. So I called the guy back, and I started asking him kind of awkward questions like, um, do you, where's your dealership? Um, do you have a copy of the title? Because he was saying, you know, give us a little bit of money and we'll send the title in the mail. And I'm like, so he's meeting me at a gas station. He doesn't have the title. He wants me to pay him in full. <laughs> so when he, he realized what I was asking, he started laughing. And he said, no, 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 don't worry. I don't do business in the gas station. So we go to his office. And we had a nice conversation. He was a nice gentleman, has a family, has kids, has a, has a, has a business license. And in the end, I feel like, you know, I asked him to come down a little bit. Because I said, how much do you want for it? And he said, this much. I said, can you come down a little bit? He said, well, how much should I come down? And I thought about it. And I wanted to say, you need to come on down, you know. <laughs> Help me out. But I, came, I asked him to come down just a few hundred. And it's because I wanted to check my own heart. And he was more than willing to do that. And so we had a great interaction. It was a win-win. We got a good car. He's a good guy. And we got to provide income for him to take care of his family. He's got a kid in college and a younger kid. So let's go for the win-win. You know, the situation feels totally different if one or both parties are extractors, doesn't it? They're just looking to take. How does that interaction feel? So let's push for it. Now, I was also thinking, so if, if you've got one taker and one giver, it's unpleasant. It's, it's sad. But if you've got two takers, it's kind of funny, isn't it? <laughs> You just watch them try to take from each other, and nobody wins. So let's push for the win-win. But if they're not willing, if they don't want to win-win, if they want to take from you, they want to win and you lose, then it's time to withdraw your participation. That's a way to challenge them. It's a way to make them think twice. You know, with Hollywood, they're not making the kind of movies that I want to pay $11 for my family to see. I don't feel like they're looking out for me. I feel like they're trying to extract value out of my pocket, and so I'm probably not going to be going to see very many movies. We do have the power to withdraw our participation and to, and to challenge people to think about somebody other than themselves. What about professional sports? The NBA's been getting in the headlines, right? They're kind of butting into all kinds of things and making threats and threatening to withdraw their sport, withdraw the NBA All-Star game. Well, I, you know, I don't really want to pay all that money for a ticket myself. And then on top of that, some of their athletes are promoting a lifestyle that, you know, I don't support. So I might, not, I might just not buy a ticket. Now, I'm not trying to be too strict, but I'm just, we can think about how we can challenge people, right? We don't have to play along when people are looking to take from you. We can set a higher standard. We can push for the win-win. Salesmen, that, man, they're just, they're out to get something from you. You can just tell. It's their demeanor, it's their language. They just want to get from you, and they're not looking to give. Withdraw your participation. Now, this is a hard one. What about family members? You know, when they're looking you eye to eye, and you just can tell. They're, just, they're looking to get from you. They're not looking to give. Maybe it's time for you to say, you know what? Until you come back to me, and I can tell that you're as interested in my welfare as I am in yours, maybe this time we don't dance. 
Take some time. Think about it. Come back to me, and maybe we'll, we'll talk about it. That's a hard one, but maybe it's time to withdraw your participation and say, this time I'm not going to dance. So be a contributor. Challenge the extractors. And then thirdly, be merciful. Be merciful. You know, people who don't see life the way that God sees it, they're going to struggle with this. Now, we've all struggled with this at one time or another. Maybe we still do struggle. You know, it's tough to have the faith to be generous. Because it's, it's an act of faith to give more than you get. Because there's a fear that there's not going to be enough for you. I remember sitting in a support group. You know, there was a, a halfway house I was volunteering at called the Lifehouse. Or the Lighthouse. And there were these guys sitting around telling their stories. And I was impressed with how open and honest they were. But they were basically recovering takers. They had spent years, sometimes decades of their life, taking from people taking for what they needed, and then hurting themselves, hurting the people they loved in the process. And they were wanting to turn things around. And I remember thinking, after hearing a, you know, a number of stories, I thought, you know, if I had the circumstances they did, if I had the situation they did, maybe the parents they did or didn't have, their story could be my story. And it changed my heart. And I saw firsthand how kindness and support drew these men to repentance and ultimately restoration. So you see the process here. Nehemiah sees bad behavior. He challenges it. But then when they turn, when they're willing to repent, he's merciful. So let's also be merciful. Now what if we would resolve to be contributors, right? What if our daily focus was to give rather than to get? What if we would be willing to challenge the extractors by setting an example and by withdrawing our support when necessary? Just say, hey, I'm not going to dance with you like this. If you're just looking to take, I'm not going to support it. And what if we'd be willing to show mercy to people who are struggling with what we ourselves struggle with? How might God use us to inspire others to make their unique contribution? That he's designed them to make. What might our society look like if just the Christians got this? Just the Christians, right? Could be contributors. Could challenge the takers. And be merciful in the process. As we come to this time of invitation, I have a couple questions for you. First is, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If you haven't, today's a great day. He has done everything. We've talked about this before. Jesus has cleared all the obstacles between you and the Father. He's made forgiveness freely available. So if you have a response today for salvation, come forward and we'll take care of that. We'll, we'll baptize you today. We'll encourage you as you begin your journey of following Jesus. If today's the day that you want to place your membership with this body and join us on mission, we'd be more than glad to have you. And if thirdly, if you just have some sort of prayer need or anything going on in your life that we can come around you and support you and pray with you about, we'd be glad to do that. So pray with me and then we're going to have a time of invitation. God, thank you for this morning and just this opportunity to be here. We love you so much and we're so grateful for your word and how you've challenged us this morning, God, to be focused on giving rather than taking. And we're so thankful for the example of your son Jesus and how he came and lived 
and loved and gave and sacrificed and died. For people who didn't even know what he was there for. For people who didn't even care. For sinners just like us. He came and he gave his life. And so may we be inspired by his example to be generous. To focus on not getting but giving. To focus on making a difference in our families and workplaces in our community, God. May we be inspired by your generosity. To live with open hands. And to be committed to making a difference. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand with me now and sing.